This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, and this podcast is commentary for pages 393 to 397. I apologize if there's any background noise, but it's cold and raining here, and I have my floor heater on, audio quality be damned, so just live with it. Page 393, abbreviated parting. I really, really hate the title of this page. This was yet another page that I came up with the title at the very last minute, and as often is the case, the titles are just never so great. You know, but I don't think I ever had anything that was even remotely better than that either, so it wasn't where I had a couple of choices and I just chose one of the multiple bad choices. In this case, I think that was all that I could come up with altogether. And in this page, there's not a whole lot of story points. Mika's basically just, you know, turning Tresca's rejection from earlier back around at her since, you know, Mika's been stewing about this for a while. And so she's kind of pissed off. And this is her opportunity to, to really get back at Tresca, even just a little bit. And even though Tresca's trying right now to, to bridge the gap and extend the olive branch to Mika, Mika doesn't really want any part of it. She wants, she's almost more interested in scoring points than she is in patching up her relationship with Tresca because now that Tresca's hurt her, she's basically given up on the concept of them having a friendship or a relationship or anything. And she, she just wants to take a shot at Tresca and get back at her. And even Tresca has probably started to realize that she probably went a little bit too far back in your tendra. And that's why she's trying to patch things up a little bit, but Mika's really having none of it. There's that line at the very end when Mika says, what for? I remember being a little conflicted about whether I was going to use that line. I seem to recall thinking that I should have just changed it to be why, or why bother, or yeah, something like that. But for some reason, I, I was just concerned that what for wouldn't read properly, and I everyone seemed to read it just fine, and I think that everyone does read it just fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but for some reason there was a problem in my mind with it. I think it was one of those cases where if you listen to a word or a line or something too many times, it starts to become meaningless, and you start to you know, doubt your own ability in the language, and I think that might have been what that was from. In panel two, you can still see the flames behind you know, Tresca and Mika, and that's the fire that's going to burn through to the building that Mika is entering, which is adjacent to the one that's already on fire. And if you look in background of panel four, you can see more of those super detailed, at least by Falcon Twin standards, people standing around looking at the fire, not really doing anything. I guess, you know, if you're in that situation, there's not much you can do since it's not like they have a fire truck they could drive up and put it out. But but I don't know, you'd think they'd be running around in a panic or something, but no, they're just standing around to watch. I mean, it's like, you know, watching a fist fight or something taking place on the other side of the street. They're not really interested in doing anything. They're just going to watch the show. And in the last panel, you can see I kind of took the cheapo way out without doing a background, even though I could have rightly just used the same background from panel four. I think I just decided to do the sort of swishy effect background, which I don't think that I do that nearly as much as most other comics do. I mean, as, as far as I've heard most and seen, most other comics use those kind of effect backgrounds where you've just got a line or a gradient or something like that way more than I do in Falcon Twins, so... I kind of feel justified, even if I still feel like I'm kind of wimping out and being a bit lazy when I do those backgrounds. But like I said, I think most comics use those a lot more, and probably to better effect than I do. Page 394, Miss Sensitivity. This page is basically just necessary to support Mika's line in the prologue where she says, just get everyone out safely, which, you know, again, when you're starting the comic and you're four pages in and you have to have Mika say something profound, just get everyone out safely. Sounds, you know, good, and it sounds like there's something serious going on, which I guess there's something relatively serious going on, but it's not like it's this epic struggle between good and evil that's going to involve the fates of thousands of lives or something. But anyway, so since Mika says this line in the prologue about getting people out safely, I had to have people that needed getting out safely. 
it was possible that people could have said, well, you know, Evan said go evacuate people, and so maybe that was the people Mika was talking about, but it would make a lot more sense if you know Mika saw these people and recognized that they weren't going to be leaving. So when Tresca came to get Mika, Mika said, no, just get rid of them first and then, and then worry about that. And that's also part of the reason that they don't leave when Mika tells them to, which is also, that's also just because they're shocked and not really paying attention and, you know, they've been traumatized from whatever they've already witnessed Sydney doing, and so they've just kind of come unglued and are completely nonsensical right now. But also it does help to support the idea that there are people in there who need to be removed from the building. And there's an interesting change of lighting here, you know, between the outside, which is this sort of bright reddish sort of orangey glow from the fire, and then inside, which is mainly this cool blue as the light from kind of outside, possibly from the moon or something, spills in, even though it probably would have been a little bit more of a red glow, which might have looked better. But I just wanted to have one last cool color scheme page before the prologue. And there's also a little bit of a visual callback in the second panel, too, where you can see the woman huddled with the children just in silhouette there, kind of hiding behind something as something else is going on in the foreground, which is sort of a reference to when Mika and Tresca are rifling through the stuff in the antiquities shop back when they first arrived in Yerkandela, and that's on page 175. That's kind of a, a little bit of an oblique reference to that, not a direct one, but you know, again, it's like you see the people in the foreground hiding behind something, and they're talking, but they're not using the dialogue bubbles, they're just talking with just plain text over the background. And if you look behind the doorway in the panels, let's see, panel 3... Five, seven, and nine. You can see that the flames are there in that in that room. They're not huge, such that they're just blasting out light or anything like that. But they're there, so that as you know, the panels and the pages go on, you can see the the flames take over even more. And also, there's a if you look inside the door, and I'm surprised no one mentioned this on the forums because they usually do when I do one of these. And the second panel next to Mika on the inside of the doorway, you can see there's that painting of the light coming down behind the mountain and all the people worshiping. Which I guess it's because it's dark and you can't really see very well. But if you look and you zoom in, you can see them all there worshiping the big light. And so that's you know, that whole running gag, if you'll call it that, in Falcon Twin. It's that picture. It's like dogs playing poker. It's everywhere. It doesn't really mean very much. And, you know, and part of the reason, as I said, these people are scared when they see Mika is because they're in shock. And, you know, the first thing that they see of Mika is they see her walking by the door with a sword. And so that doesn't really leave a good impression on them. So they probably associate her with Sydney and think that she's, you know, there to do terrible things to them, too, which is why before Mika even says anything, this woman volunteers to die rather than let the, the kids be killed. And I actually do feel kind of bad for the woman. If for some reason, that really does kind of bother me. And I guess maybe I just got a little too much into her head when I was you know, doing these characters, which are completely throwaway characters. It's not like they're running main characters who are going to show up a whole bunch of times in the storyline. But for whatever reason, I, I sort of got to empathize with her a little bit, and I really sort of felt bad for her, especially for the kids, you know, when the kid says, is she going to kill us? And so that was, you know, one of those weird moments where I should have been you know, callous, and it's, it still got to me anyway. And this woman here really, obviously, really likes the kids, and she's willing to sacrifice herself to save them. They really like her. And, you know, at this point, they've all probably seen at least a few of the other kids there die, if not be injured or be chased out and, you know, hear them scream as Sydney kills them or something. So they're pretty traumatized as it is. And the woman here isn't the head chick. I was thinking that she might be originally, but then I said, no, nah, she's, she's a little bit young to be the, sort of the, the head person running this place. So she's probably more of a assistant to some older matronly probably very heavy type of woman you know one of those kind of big probably german woman who just you know, kick your ass and um with apologies to the german listeners 
And so anyways, yeah, that's kind of her position there. And again, it's for a character that's a complete throwaway, exists on one page, one page only, it's probably too much detail to go into, but there you go. She has her hair in a braid also, which is more of a visual thing to take note of. And that's maybe kind of a bit of a reference to Sydney because her hair was originally, and, and no one has actually seen this, but her hair was originally a long braided thing that went down to about her waist. But I realized when I first drew it that that was a very big pain in the ass to draw. And furthermore, it looked better with the hair just kind of loose after it was brought into the ponytail. And because that looks a little more wild, which I think suits Sydney's personality a bit more. And so that's why I didn't go with the braid for Sydney. And so when this woman here has a braid, she does look a little bit like Sydney, at least to me. I don't know how much she does to other people, but that is something that I was a little concerned with is that she really does kind of look like Sydney to me for some reason. And, you know, granted, everyone's kind of got the same face and the same head, so I suppose they all sort of look alike, but her more than most. I did give her this sort of very prim and proper looking shirt that she's wearing, which totally distinguishes her from Sydney because, you know, Sydney's outfit is completely different. Characterization through costume design. And then also, if you look, you can see on panel 8, it's a, just a complete perfect copy of panel 6, which I think might be the very first time I've ever done that in Falcon Twin. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it is. And in this case, you know, they're showing exactly the same thing. I mean, literally exactly the same thing, whereas you know, in a lot of cases, I would you know, do the same background, but I would draw different characters. But in this case, in panel 6, she's crying holding the kids, and in panel 8, she's crying holding the kids, and so I decided that in this case I was not going to draw all those people again and shade them all again. Because, I mean, you look at it, it's a nine-panel page. That's more than usual, and that's, I mean, as it is, it's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, plus eight, nine, the kids, and then Mika in the background. So, yeah, so that was a pretty complicated page, and I didn't feel like adding to my workload even more just to show exactly the same thing a second time. Page 395, compromise is good. So, here, Mika sees, you know, she hears what's going on and goes to see. I was originally going to have this whole thing play out between Mika and Sydney on the second floor of the building, which was always in my mind, I always had it, you know, that they were on the second floor. But to bring Mika up to the second floor would have been a couple of extra panels to draw, frankly, uh, and it wouldn't have been much payoff in terms of storytelling, because there's no story points that relied on them being on the second floor. And since the prologue was so vague about the location that they were in, it didn't make any difference one way or the other. So I decided that the scene took place on the first floor. And so now Mika goes and just sees this this room directly. Although the stairs that you see behind her are the stairs that if she had gone upstairs, she would have used. And because of the way that the prologue was done, there was so little actually defined in it that the interior of this building could have been damn near anything. I mean, it could have been a uh, you know, Arabian palace for all I know. So... In this case, you know, the, about the only thing, the funny thing was, about the only thing that was defined in the prologue, as far as the interior building was, that there was that trim around the top of the room, which is a big piece of wood or something, and I didn't do that in this scene, partly because I forgot, and partly because it was just so irrelevant as a story point that, you know, I mean, it's not even a story point at all. So, I mean, it's just so irrelevant as a set design point that I didn't bother with it when I realized because let's face it, the entire point of the set is it's a room and it's on fire, and beyond that, everything's just kind of details. So that was one of the things that uh, that I didn't bother making exactly the same as the prologue. And you know, other things have changed a little bit from the prologue too. I mean, little bits of Mika's outfit, her, the hilt on her sword is slightly different, and you know, Sydney's design is slightly different. She doesn't have that necklace now; it's incorporated into her her top. So little things have changed since the prologue. I mean, also Tresca's 
outfit has changed a few times even during the prologue. So I figured that, you know, of all the things to worry about, that the wood trim around the top of the room was just about at the bottom of the list. And as Mika nears the door, you can see the smoke starting to come out as the fire builds. And I also kind of like the way that the light spills out in the second panel. You get this sort of soft transition in the color schemes from this bluish scheme that almost kind of moonlit to the reddish scheme where you've got the the fire basically being the dominant light source. And there's that nice little transition in the second panel where you can see the the light sort of spilling out and adding an orangish tint to the front of Mika and Mika's blade and everything. Also, a nice little bit of moonlight coming down the in the stairwell. You can actually see the, the, the light is spilling down there, which is kind of nice. Even though, I don't know if that's actually where the moon is coming from, but just, you know, imagine that it is. So, after a bit of an absence, Sydney is back doing what she does, and if you look at the kid that she's holding, which I, I agree with whoever posted on the board that he looked a little bit small. I think he is a little bit small. But if you look at the kid, you can see that she's already wounded him a couple of times, once in the shoulders and once in the knees, which is why he's not struggling or kicking or anything like that. She's already made sure that he's just going to be kind of helpless while she finishes him off. And there's a nice little quip that Sydney makes about Mika's little party, which is obviously a reference to Mika's party on Near Tendra, which, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, Sydney was originally going to be at, but then I realized it wasn't really in any way important to the story at all, so I just left it out of the comic altogether. So that's kind of bringing that connection back here. And also, part of it is that Sydney is taunting Mika when she says, when she asks if Mika enjoyed her little party, because she probably understands that Mika would be as annoyed and uninterested in a big production like that as Sydney would be. So, And so that's part of it, is that she's kind of mocking Mika for having to go through that whole ordeal, which you know, Sydney would never do if she were in Mika's shoes. And in the very last panel here, Sydney makes this comment about meeting Mika halfway. And I was always a little bit wondering if people would actually get it, even though it seems unbelievably obvious. But for some reason, that was maybe it was like page 393, where I was just thinking about it too hard. But for some reason, I was wondering if maybe people would get that. But, you know, it's pretty obvious, and so as far as I can tell, everyone did get it. But I did want people to wonder if she was actually going to go through with it or not, as far as the kid was concerned. Page 396, that's our girl. Of course she's going to go through with it. And boy, do I love panel one. It's just, it's exactly, exactly what I wanted from that panel. Just in terms of Mika in the background and in the foreground with all the, the blood and everything flying out in silhouette. Also, a little bit of a callback to when Mika's sister gets killed in chapter one. It's almost a very, very similar page from a composition perspective where you've got Mika sort of in the kind of mid-ground, and then the stuff in the foreground happening is bits of a person are scattered in front of her, and she watches them. In this case, at least she says something, as opposed to just standing there silently while she watches her sister get her brains blown out. Not that she could do anything about it anyway. But, yeah, and so that was a little bit of a reference back to that page, and also just a panel that I really, really, really like. I just, it's one of the few panels that I look at and go, Man, that's awesome. I probably spent more time looking at that panel when I finished the page than I did any of the other panels in the entire thing, just because I really liked the way that it turned out. I decided when I was going to kill the kid to kill him in silhouette, as opposed to actually showing him being torn apart the way that most of the other people in Falcon Twin have been, because even despite being the comic that it is, I think that actually showing the kid being killed in full detail would have been pushing it even for Falcon Twin. And, you know, it's it's the same thing with, with when Sydney hurls the kid earlier on in Near Mara. You don't really see him die. You see him go flying against the wall and you hear a loud crack, which, you know, could be him dying. It could just be just the sound of him hitting the wall. You're not really clear. And so 
In this case, I mean, there's no ambiguity that he is, in fact, very dead, but I wanted to not do it as blatantly as some of the other people getting killed. Because, I mean, it's a difference between when you're killing an adult who conceivably has at least some bit of a say in what happens to him, as opposed to a kid who's pretty much just at the mercy of the adults, and in this case, the adult has decided she's going to kill him. So I I killed the kid in silhouette, and I think it was probably the right choice. The background panel one also, going back to what an awesome panel that was, turned out to be, it was it was done before I even realized it. And it was, I don't even know why, but it was just a little swish, just like it's been in some of the previous pages. And the colors were, I think it's just like a bluish or a purplish on the outside, and then a yellow and then a red over top of the swish itself. And that was that, and that was it for that entire panel's background. I was just amazed. I love it when a panel comes together. And I brought back also in panel one the infamous blood spray, which I don't know if I've mentioned in the podcast before, but the blood spray was this image that I made years ago in Painter, back when I still had that program. And I made this image of blood that had been kind of dripped and sprayed, and it turned out to be kind of exactly what I had in mind, and so I used that image a lot in a lot of the scenes where there's being blood being shed. And I sort of got away from it for the last year or so because it just, you know, I was using it too much and I started to think it was kind of becoming obvious. I don't think anyone ever noticed it because, you know, it's just kind of random blood spray. But eventually I I sort of said, "Ah, no, I got to do something else. So I started doing more, doing it more by hand instead of just taking this image and copying it and pasting it and rotating it into position and scaling and all that stuff. But in this case, just for kind of one last hurrah, I brought it back. And I think in this case it was also fine, too, because, you know, it's blood spraying. And so that's where you can see that in the first panel as the the knife is cutting through the kid, you see these sort of long globs of blood, some of which were done in the line art and some of which I did in Photoshop. But when you see the, the actual spray of blood off to the left-hand side, like right above the H's in the sound that the knife is making, that's all part of that. And also over top of Mika's face, too, and up at the top of the panel in the center. That's all that sprayed blood texture, so it's back with a vengeance. And in panel two, the sound effects, I'm pretty sure people knew what they were, but just to be clear, the thump is the sound of the lower half of the kid hitting the floor, and technically it probably should have been three thumps, because if you look in panel three, you can see that she cut through his arms also. But anyways, the thump is the lower half of the kid hitting the floor, and then the splash sound is his his organs falling out and hitting the floor, so that's what that is. And the streams of blood in panel three are really nice, the ones in front of Sydney that are kind of dripping out of the kid. But I think that, you know, again, this is one of those limitations of the medium that I think that if there was a sound, it would be, it would sound, it would, the whole effect would come together a lot better if there was the sort of trail of viscous liquid sort of hitting a surface sound, which obviously you don't get in the, in the comics. So that was a little bit of an unfortunate thing, but there you go. And in panel four, there's also streams of blood, which you kind of can't see. They're off to the right and the bottom, which is probably for the best because I don't think they ever looked very good. I wanted it to be like Sydney through this kid, but, you know, the blood was still, part of it was still in midair, and so the blood streams were supposed to kind of curve off to the side, and they do curve off to the side, but it just doesn't look like I sort of had in mind, so I'm kind of glad that they wound up behind the dialogue bubble. I do like the way that Sydney decided, though, that she was going to say, well, yeah, I don't really need this half either because it's sort of, completely torpedoes Mika's attempt to do the right thing where Sydney decides to not to do what Mika told her to do and then retrospectively says, oh yeah, I guess maybe you were right and m- completely misinterprets what Mika intended, which is nice. And then panel six. Panel six is one of these 
panels that really angered me because in the pencil version of it, Sydney looked exactly right. I mean, it was the classic, quintessential, probably the best image of Sydney I've ever drawn, just in terms of you know the, the her her posture with her kind of shoulders back and you know her, her back straight and her chest kind of stuck out and the smirk that she had on her face and the hair and everything was just you know, her eyebrows it was all perfect and then you know when I went ahead and inked it and that kind of blunted the effect and then when I went and shaded it that just killed the effect altogether so I, yeah that was one of those frustrating moments where I just sometimes wish I could post the pencils and say that's it for this panel because oftentimes the pencils do wind up looking a lot better especially better than the inks and then the, the shaded version but that's that and then Sydney's comment here in panel six where she says takes one to no one is also kind of nice where she basically puts Mika right in her place saying look you're in no position to be lecturing me on who to kill and who not to kill since you, know, you are certainly not without blood on your hands so that was a nice little moment there where Mika you know in that word monster I think I may have used that a few too many times you know people I mean Mika and Sydney keep calling each other monsters but but in this case, again, it was just one last opportunity and, and a nice time for Sydney to basically see all the, the connections saying, look, you know, you are, you're no better than I am, so, you know, step off. Now, in the last panel here, some people interpreted Sydney as getting really, really mad, which she's not. I can kind of see why you would think that she was, because she, she sort of looks angry. But the idea of her reaction was more that she's just really annoyed at the way that Mika's reacting to this because she doesn't really perceive it as being some sort of great tragedy or travesty or injustice or anything like that. Because, I mean, from Sydney's point of view, it's kind of like, imagine you went out on the street and you were walking down the sidewalk with your friend, and across the street you saw some guy stub his toe. And your friend just came unglued and dropped to his knees and started crying and just screaming about how this is the worst of the worst catastrophes and this is terrible and oh god how could this possibly happen you'd you'd think your friend was just nuts you'd think he was stupid and you'd probably think that he was trying to take advantage of this questionable tragedy of someone else for his own benefit you know he's trying to get a you know free soda or something out of you and so that's kind of the way that Sydney's reacting. She's saying, well, wait a second, this is bullshit. You don't know that kid. You don't know any of the people here, and you've never probably even been to this town, have you? So she's just kind of annoyed that Mika's acting this way about, you know, acting all indignant about what happened to this kid, especially, again, in, in the context of what Mika has already done. You know, Mika's really not in a position to be complaining about bad things happening to other people. You know, it, it's Sydney's hands when Mika's done plenty of bad things on her own. And also, too, I mean, it's... It's not an unfamiliar scenario for us either. I mean, because, look, there's terrible stuff happening around the world every second of every day. I mean, as I record this at this very second, I'm sure that there's probably a person being beaten to death. There's probably a woman being raped. There's probably a terrible things happening all around the world at this very second. And yet, you know, somehow we still manage to get by and, and without screaming in outrage every second of every day. And, you know, probably at the moment that you're listening to this, all that terrible stuff is happening too. That's kind of the way that Sydney's looking at this, saying, well, look, you know, bad things happen all the time, and this is really no worse than any of that other stuff, and you never got all that upset over all that other stuff, so what the hell are you complaining about? And so that's kind of where she's coming from on this. So she's not really outraged, or Mika didn't touch the nerve or anything like that. It's just that she's annoyed at the way that Mika's responding here. And finally, page 397, the beginning of the end. Now, this is one of the titles that I actually really liked, and it was... One that, I, as usual, I didn't have a title in mind for this page, and I was thinking I was going to do something particularly pretentious and dramatic involving destiny or something like that, but 
you know, you know that I hate those kind of titles, and all of a sudden I had the idea, why not just call it the beginning of the end, which would, A, once and for all put to rest the question on the forums that, yes, this is in fact the end, but also it was just, you know, it, it perfectly fit, and so I was really happy that I thought of that before I posted the page. And in this page you can also see that the flames are, as I've, I think, mentioned a couple of times, getting bigger, and so that by the time, this is a, a mainly a continuity thing, so that by the time you reach the prologue, there are going to be lots of flames all throughout the, the room, which is, you know, the context in which the prologue takes place. And so if you go back and look through the last few, few pages, 395, 6, and 7, you can see that the flames have been growing each time. And so 95 has less flames than 96, has less flames than 97. And so by 97, I mean, there's basically nothing behind Sydney at all except for flames, which is kind of annoying because there actually is a background back there. It's nothing fancy, but there's a cabinet behind Sydney's head, and then below that, a foot or two below that, there's a table. But since it's all on fire, you can't see any of it. You can just barely see the handles of the cabinet a little bit if you look really closely. It's easier to see on some of the previous pages, too. But in this case, I mean, right now on page 397, it's so engulfed in flames that you just can't see anything. Which is, I mean, kind of the point, but still, it's kind of annoying to draw a background and then completely cover it up, because at this point I could probably get away without drawing any background behind there. And there's also, you can see the smoke starting to build, which in and of itself posed a problem, because when you put the smoke over top of the fire, it makes the fire look dull. And you can see, especially in panel 5, you can see that on this page, where the smoke up at the top of the frame gets dulled a little bit, even though I went out of my way to kind of erase some of the smoke there, so that the flames would show through a little more. It still doesn't it just doesn't quite look right. There is also a little bit of background in panels 4 and 6, the side shots of Mika, which, again, you know, the fire's kind of covering it up, Mika's kind of covering it up, the dialogue's kind of covering it up. But there's a, a window off to the left, and just below that there's a chair, and then there's a broom, and, and then the door, of course. And I, I put that in because I sort of felt like I needed more stuff in the room just to make it feel like more of a place, but... You can't really see any of it anyway because all the shots... I mean, I never do wide shots because it's just I'm too lazy and it's too much work. And all of it's hidden by fire and people and dialogue and all that stuff anyway, so it wasn't really necessary to do much in the way of backgrounds, especially here with all the fire and everything. But yeah, there's a little bit of background there if you look real closely. And here we get to the... on this page also the core of Sydney's philosophy in panel 2, where she says you'd be surprised how many problems you can solve just by killing enough people. And that's... I don't think that that's stated anywhere else in Falcon Twin, if I remember correctly. I might have mentioned it in the podcast, but that's sort of one of the fundamentals of Sydney's approach to the world, and part of the reason that she kills so many people is that Sydney believes, you know, and kind of treats as a guiding mantra that just about any problem can be solved by killing enough people. And, you know, and you, she could make an argument for that, you know, that, look, you know, no matter what it is, if if I have the ability to kill enough people, the problem that they pose, one way or the other, will cease to be a problem for me anymore. And that also doesn't apply to just killing people who are causing you problems, but killing people in order to make other people do things for you, which is why it also goes back to what she says in the first panel here, that, you know, by killing these people and setting fire to the buildings and doing all this terrible stuff, maybe other people will cooperate more. Sydney would say that, look... I'm going to keep killing people until other people do what I want, and if other people never do what I want, then I'll just kill everybody, and then nobody will ever cause a problem for me anymore, and I'll just go out and, you know, live on the land or whatever. And so, yeah, as far as Sydney's concerned, if it gets to the point where she kills everyone, which is probably a little unrealistic, but 
But if anyone could do it, she probably could. Then that's fine with her. She's okay with that. She's okay with that as an outcome of this philosophy that potentially she might just wind up killing everyone. That's where she's sort of coming from philosophically. And also, if you look at Mika in panel two, she has this sort of weird ambivalent expression as Sydney says this, which wasn't really intended to be that way when I was drawing it, but I was really happy that it sort of worked out that way. When you see her expression, she seems to sort of be mulling it over, like she's thinking that maybe Sydney's onto something. On one hand, she's sort of, she, she's put off by the idea, but also on the other hand, she understands the logic with which Sydney is, is approaching that point. And she's not 100% sure that Sydney's wrong. And panel three is one of these awesome payoff panels. Not visually, I mean, visually actually it's okay. But it's also one of those nice panels where, one, Sydney compl- you know, changes expressions and goes from sort of just being conversational in panel one to being sort of vindictive and, and sneering at Mika. And, and the dialogue is exactly the, the payoff that you know, a lot of this stuff has been building to for a long time, where Sydney scores the ultimate point against Mika and reminds Mika that she's really just as evil as Sydney is almost, if not in some cases more. Because Sydney would also point out that, look, you, know, you do terrible things and you think you're doing it for a good reason. I do terrible things and I know that they're terrible and I just don't care. And so Sydney would probably you know, call Mika a hypocrite. And so that's, it's just a wonderful point that Sydney scores when she, when she says that, you know, maybe you wouldn't. You know, and that's, that, you know, she's, in particular, that's a reference to, of course, also the slaughter that Mika did at Near Tendra. But just in general to the fact that, look, she recognizes that Mika's killing people and treating that as a way of dealing with problems. She just hasn't come to realize that that's actually her me doing it. She thinks that she's solving problems, and it just happens that she kills people where Sydney would argue that, no, killing people is the solving of the problem. Boy, that was convoluted, and I'm sure none of you understood it. Anyway, and then one last little bit of acting from Sydney in panel 5, where, again, we're reminded that Sydney is really an excellent actress, and she does this thing where she can bounce around from portraying one emotion to another, you know, in the space of about four panels of, of Sydney, we've seen her looking angry, we've seen her just, you know, in professor mode, we've seen her sneering, and now we've seen her in kind of bubbly girly mode, being very patronizing. And and this is part this is something that Sydney does. I mean this is the way that she interacts with the world as a way of making sure that nobody can ever really tell what's going on inside of her. It's kinda like the scene when she's stabbing Mika in near Mara and acting all happy and bright and bubbly and let's play a game that kind of stuff. I mean, that's what Sydney does as a way of keeping other people at arm's length and keeping them kind of on the back foot so they don't ever know what kind of position Sydney's coming from. Maybe she's really being bubbly and cheery. Maybe she's planning to kill me. Maybe she's really angry. Maybe she just wants to, to scare me. You, you can never really be sure what is going on in Sydney's head, and that's why she does these things. And, you know, in this pose that she's striking here in the last panel is very girly, where she's kind of throwing, you can't really see it so much because it's covered up, but she's kind of throwing her hip out to the side and touching her chest, and she's got her right arm sort of turned to to the outside. It's very sort of strange, girly, cutesy pose, which is totally out of character for her, which is, like I said, the whole point. She wants to make it so that no one can really tell what's in character and what's out of character for her. And if I were doing more panels on this page, which obviously I'd really rather not, I would have another panel of Sydney sneering as she delivers the line about the cinders, you know, this whole place burns to cinders, because that's, you know, she definitely wouldn't be striking that pose while she 
said that. And that's the kind of thing that she'd be sneering and she would hiss out the line, you know, before this whole place burns to cinders. That kind of delivery. And finally, Mika rushes Sydney, saying, so be it. And, you know, at this point, she's decided that she's just here to kill Sydney. And the whole uh, concept of the building burning down and collapsing around Mika is kind of totally relevant. And if you were to stop Mika and say, what do you think about this? She'd probably say, uh, yeah, I'm fine with that. But at this point, it's not even something that she's thinking about. She's just here to, to have her fight with Sydney, and so she's going to have it. When she says, so be it, it's not like she's thought about this and said, hmm, yeah, fire, burning, cinders, dying. Yeah, so be it. She's just saying, whatever, I don't care. I mean, she could almost have said whatever and had basically the same effect in terms of what she's trying to say. And so when Mika rushes Sydney, that leads pretty much directly into panel one of the prologue, which I was just, for this last panel here on 397, I was thinking I was just going to do a shot of Mika's hand gripping the sword, you know, as she says this in kind of a show of determination, but I decided to pull back and show more of Mika just so that I could show that she was actually moving towards Sydney now so that it will flow better in the next page when you see Sydney slashing at Mika as she approaches and, and Mika has to jerk back and, and back off a little bit. So next up is the prologue for which I'm not going to do a commentary podcast until it's over, obviously, which pretty much means goodbye for now. And unless something of immense importance comes up, it will probably be another few months before I talk to you again. Thank you to those who mailed after the last show. I got about as much mail after that show as I usually get after a podcast, which is to say not very much at all. As a matter of fact, only about two or three that really had much to say about the contents of that show. But what was said in those mails I thought was very meaningful and very important, and I really appreciated getting them. So I think that Probably that show was one of the most meaningful podcasts that I I have done so far and probably will ever do. So uh, my thanks go out to those people who emailed me, and that's that. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. So there.